Now, Bob read from the book of Esther a few moments ago, and the, the, the book of Esther has a lot of value to it. When we take time to read that story and look at some of the details and look at the form of it and talk about plot and all that kind of stuff, there's so much value, way more than we could ever have time for here on any Sunday morning. But there are a few things, I believe, that if we take from the story that we can relate them to our our reading this morning. And I want us to go through some of those. First, make sure we remember the story of Esther. I want you to help me. What do you remember about the story of Esther? There's a lady named Esther. Okay. What else? She saved her people, okay. She was Jewish, all right. Anybody else? The queen, okay. There was the queen, went Basti, right, at the beginning of the story, and, you know, she didn't want to do what her husband, the king, had in mind, and so he banished her, right? Does it sound familiar? And brought all the, uh, the women available women from the land so he could have a new king. And who did he pick? Esther. Good. Didn't know Esther was Jewish, right? Then what's going on then? Her uncle who? Mordecai. Good. All right. So we've got an uncle in the story now. And he teaches her what? God, okay. While she is king, Esther, um, and I'm going to sum it up very quickly. Esther finds out there's a plot against the Jewish people from Haman, right, who is the king's sort of right-hand man. He decided one day, he cast lots, and he decided on one particular day he was going to get rid of the Jewish people, kill them all. Sound familiar? Esther finds out about this. Mordecai knows she found she she knows about this. She's scared to death because she wants to save her people, right? But she can't just go up and talk to the king. Doesn't work that way. And her uncle Mordecai is trying to convince her that perhaps, perhaps, and probably the most uh, memorized, uh, memored, remembered verse of that story is for such a time as this, right? And he encourages her, no matter no matter. I don't know what he does, but he convinces her to confront the king, right? Does that sound familiar? To tell the king about this plot. She does. He finds out, hey, who wants to kill my queen's people? That person should be put to death. Well, that person is Haman. Haman gets put to death. Y'all with me? Okay. There's a lot in that story, and I'm I'm going to, um, first I was going to suggest, maybe I might want to just put it as homework, for you to go look at the story of Esther. There's a few things also I want us to remember about Esther to put in perspective for us about the book of Esther. And the first is this. If you go study Esther, if you look at any other studies that have been done, you go reading into it, it's notorious for the fact that it does not mention the name of God at all. No Lord, no anything like that. There's a hint here or there, where people kind of say, well, they're talking about God, but 
No mention of God at all. And that bothers some people. Another issue, if you get in to start reading the book of Esther, an issue people have is, who is the main character of Esther? Well, on the surface, the book is named after Esther, so probably Esther. But some people go just a little bit deeper and say, well, you know, it's not really Esther. It's Mordecai. Then some people will try to go just a little bit further. Well, it's not really Esther or Mordecai. It's actually God. Because God is working all these things. God may not be mentioned, but God is surely at work. Another thing you'll come across if you go to study the book of Esther is a belief that many people have about what the story is. Some take it, many people take it as sort of a, 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 a historical um, event that happened, while others consider it a novella. Now, I know what comes to mind when you hear novella. Easy, okay? Soap operas and all this stuff, I understand that. But novella in the sense that a short story, fictional short story that says something. In the end, I believe, no matter what you decide it is, whether you think it's a uh, an historical story, or whether you think it's a novella, I don't think we can take away from what the story might mean for us. And part of the meaning that you'll find also when you look at Esther over and over is the other part that uh, Bob read about this festival that the Jewish people were supposed to have. Everybody repeat this word after me. Purim. P-U-R-I-M. This is a festival. It's this festival that... Bob read that was instituted by Mordecai, sometimes called the Feast of Mordecai. And the question is whether the book of Esther sort of, um, how would you say, not encourages, but sort of defends this festival, this holiday, or whether this is, in fact, something that started with the book of Esther. But I'll talk to you a little bit about what this holiday is. Now, this is, for the Jewish people, I've read somewhere, sort of the Mardi Gras for the Jewish people. Now, I know, images of Mardi Gras, <laughs> easy, that's not too far-fetched. This is the most joyous, the most loudest, the most just let everything go festival there is for the Jewish people. And there's four parts of it. One is you hear the reading of the book of Esther. All right? Stay with me. You can read it by yourself, but that's just not good enough. It's better to come to the community, to the synagogue, and hear the story of Esther read to you twice. And there's a particular practice. Haman's name, remember Haman, right? Bad guy with the lots, you know, going to destroy the Jewish people. Whenever, I want you to practice. Whenever you hear Haman's name, I want you to do one or two things. Either say boo or whatever your equivalent is of it. Ready? Haman. Oh, come on, you can do better. Let's pretend the Cowboys are playing the Eagles today. Ready? Haman. A little better. Part of the tradition is, as we hear the, the scroll of Esther read, whenever Haman's name comes up, you go, or your equivalent. People bring noisemakers to this reading, all kinds of stuff. And the point is to sort of blot out the name of Haman from history. A lot of fun, apparently. And, um, you know, last year, Mike and Ronnie took me to the Eagles game here in Dallas. And let me tell you, yeah, it's a, wow. It's kind of the same thing. You get the same kind of emotion. You know, Jesus talked about 
those who aren't against us, and, you know, it's okay. Well, Haman's not, he's not with us, and so we give him all we got. You all with me? The second part of the, the holiday is the feast, and this is a feast like no others. Now, <laughs> stay with me, people. In addition to all the good food there is, <laughs> the tradition is that each person is supposed to drink so much that they cannot tell the difference between the two phrases, cursed be Haman or blessed be Mordecai. Okay? We're going to have to talk at the church. But certainly wine plays a part in the story, doesn't it? If you heard what Bob Ray, you know some of the other story. Wine plays a part of it. And, that's, and of course, you don't drink to neglect yourself or other, put other people in danger, all those types of things, but... That's part of the feast. The third part of the holiday is to give two types of food or drink gifts to other people. Now, these are just gifts that you give to somebody. You pick two people, at least two people, to give to. Now, these can't be expensive gifts. They're just sort of, you know, small gifts. Because you can't be elaborate with that gift because the last part of the holiday is to make sure you have a gift for those in need you have a gift to give to what's called the poor. And this is a strange donation. In other places, whatever money you give, you know, it's got that line item and you can't use it for anything else. Well, for this, I'm telling you, everything's out the window. You use that money for whatever it is you want to, okay? But that's it. Esther, the book of Esther, sort of brings all that together. Now, what I want you to realize about the book of Esther and even about this holiday we talked about, is community. Without community, the holiday or the story has no bearing on anything. During the holiday, you don't just sit under your lamp to read the story. You go to the synagogue with other people, and you boo and you hiss, and you remember together. In the story, Yeah, we focus on Mordecai or the queen or Esther. But really, it is the community that will either be affected by what Esther does or by what Haman does. Hey, good job. Haman. Guys are awesome, man. (laughs) Funny. But community. Community is what's important in these stories. Now, think about community as you hear these words again. There, well, first, there was a, a young boy who was sitting in church with his father, and the young boy he was a little bit restless. And his father would try to keep him calm a little bit. You know how it is. You know, some of us just can't sit still. So after a while, the father finally got upset, and he grabbed the boy's arm, and he stood up, and he sternly walked down that aisle with the boy in his arm. And as the father and the boy got to the very front of the sanctuary, right to go into the door to go into the foyer, the boy cried out, Pray for me! (laughs) See, that young man knew the power of prayer in community. Now, 
Think about all we've said so far, and listen to this again. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. Yeah, that young man knew something about the power of prayer in the community. And I have to wonder, at least in my limited experience in the church, if many Christians in the church have lost that understanding. In a day and an age where we're taught to do what's good for you, get ahead, Work out for number one, da-da-da-da-da. Sometimes we forget the calling of community, especially the power of prayer in community. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? Well, I'd, I'd like to help you, but I don't pray in public. Or, I'd like to pray, but I wouldn't know what to say. There was a, another young boy who his mother had invited several people over for dinner one night. So as she's getting everything ready for uh, the preparations, everything in place, people start arriving. And it's time for them to sit around the table, and they're there getting ready to eat. And the mother looks at her young boy and says, Would you like to say the blessing for everyone? The young boy says, Well, I wouldn't know what to say. So his mother said, Well, that's easy just... Repeat what your mom always says. What? So everybody bows their head and he says, Lord, why did I invite all these people to my house? (laughs) There's something about the praying of a community. According to James, is powerful. So I want you to realize that community is just a, a big part of what we read from James as it was in Esther, as it was in the holiday we talked about. The community comes together in prayer. Is anyone suffering? They should pray. And sick? You know what? The sick have a duty too. They need to call the elders to know. Always hate you know, sometimes, this happened a few times, so you can't tell me it doesn't happen. But, well, you know, I was in the hospital. Nobody ever came to tell, see me. Did you tell anybody? No. Y'all with me? But there's got to be prayer in the community. Somewhere, I read that somebody said, They were a church family. Oh, you know them too. 
here's what I want you to realize. In this life, this short life that we all have, there are things that can separate us and there are things that can divide us. Things that can alienate us. You tell me, what are some of the things that can unite us? Prayer. Potluck. Amen to that. What are the things that can unite us? Service. Death and sickness have a, have a funny way, right? Because they can bring us together. But, and I'll tell you in just a moment, they can also alienate us if we're not careful. What else can bring us together? Worship? Holidays? What are some of the things that can alienate us from each other? Yeah. Health and sickness can, I believe, as well, because you know I've heard people say something like, "You know, I was in the hospital for two weeks. People knew. Nobody ever called me. Nobody ever came to see me. When my spouse died or whoever died, I never got a card." In a way, those things can alienate us from the community. And our job is to make sure that we are united in prayer. I believe that prayer is a way for us to keep our saltiness. Because, as I know some of you believe also, great things can happen as a result of prayer. When a person decides to become a member of the United Methodist Church, and it doesn't matter if it's here in Irving or if it's halfway across the world, the one question we all have to answer is, will you support the work of the United Methodist Church by your what? Presence, gifts, and service. Prayers, presence, gifts, service. But what's the first one? Don't you think, don't you think that you can be a valid part of any community of faith without learning to pray for those people? That hurts, but I'm not the one who said it. We have to be a praying community. I'm going to remind you that praying is a way for us to remain salty for this world. And I'm also going to challenge you, wherever you are in your prayer life. Some of us, some of you pray once every day. It's great. Some of you pray once a week. That's fine. Wherever you are, I'm going to challenge you to take it just a little bit further to make prayer a more real part of your life. Not only for yourself, for your family, and for the community of faith that God has given you. Because we are a church family prayerfully united.